you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This is Chapter 2 of Small Town Spirits, a new miniseries from the Straight Up Enigmas podcast. We're telling the story of Andy Hartman and the mysterious town of Laurelton, Missouri, in order. So if you haven't listened to the first chapter, be sure to go back and start there. We'll be here when you get back. I burst out of the stairwell and only started breathing normally again once I'd taken a few steps across the speckled sparrow's blue carpeted floor. Hey, Andy, are you okay? Steph called, then emerged from behind a rack of dresses. I started to worry you'd gotten lost up there, and I heard a big bang. She trailed off, her smile fading once she saw my expression. Hey, seriously, are you alright? You look a little pale. Her gaze landed on the printed piece of paper still clutched in my hand. Somehow, I'd managed to hang on to it, though it was completely crushed. What happened? Sorry, I, uh, I stammered, loosening my vice-like grip on the page. I saw a spider and got scared and I fell. Steph opened her mouth to say something, but I interrupted her. I'm really sorry, I've got to use the bathroom. Steph muttered something about printing off another copy as I bolted into the restroom and locked the door. I took a deep breath, gripped both sides of the sink, and gazed into the mirror. I did look pale, although that was nothing new for me. I almost laughed when I saw the frightened expression in my blue eyes. Calm down, Andy, I told myself. There's nothing wrong with having a party during the day. Maybe that's a dance studio over there. I had almost convinced myself when I remembered someone had spoken my name. Who was that? How did they know my name? I heard the creak of Steph's footsteps on the stairs through the wall and realized the bathroom must be directly below the office. Not wanting to be anywhere near that room, I left the bathroom and headed to the front counter. Now that the adrenaline had worn off, the pain in my wrist was more noticeable. I grimaced and held it tenderly, wondering if I'd have to get tangled up in workers' comp. That was when I heard the little jingle of the bell tied to the front door. Oh great, I thought. My first customer and Steph wouldn't be there to help me. When I looked up, though, I saw two young men enter the store. One was huge, tall and muscular, built like a fridge, with tan skin and a tiny dark bun on top of his head. The other was medium height, with a slim, lean build, wavy brown hair and a clean-shaven face. He trailed behind the bigger guy, looking around the boutique with his hands in his front pockets. Hi, welcome guys, I greeted them both. Can I help? Before I could finish, the taller one said in a booming voice, You're the new employee! Come here, girl! He held his arms out wide for a hug, and I hesitated. Kai! I turned to see Steph come around the corner, grinning broadly. She walked right over and let the big guy wrap her up in a hug. What's up? 
Not much, Kai said, turning his gaze back to me. We just thought we'd come over and say hi to the new girl on our break. Oh, yeah, um, hi, I'm Andy. I came out from behind the counter and stuck out my hand at the last second, unsure what to do. Silly, friends don't shake hands. Kai boomed in a deep voice, stepping forward to give me a hug. My arm with the hurt wrist got jammed up against Kai's massive chest and I inhaled sharply at the pain. Oh, gee, I'm sorry, Kai said quickly, backing away from me. All three of them watched me as I cradled my wrist. No, no, it wasn't you. I, um, just hurt my wrist a little upstairs, I stuttered. Oh no, what happened? Kai asked with concern. He really did seem like a nice guy. Before I could respond, Steph blurted, She saw a spider and fell down. You fell down because you were afraid of a spider? The other boy finally spoke up. His lips twitched. I could tell he was trying not to laugh. My cheeks and the tops of my ears were definitely bright red at that point. I sighed. It was a really big spider? It was better than telling the truth that I had heard someone say my name through the wall in the attic. Oh, hey, I'm super afraid of stuff too, Kai said helpfully. Like zombies and UFOs and killer clowns. I'm pretty sure I'd faint if I saw a killer clown. Steph and I laughed. The other kid just looked disinterested. I'm Kai, by the way, the big guy said. He looked sideways at his friend, but when he didn't volunteer his name, Kai jumped back in. And this is Emmett. Emmett gave a little nod and a toothless smile. We work at Flavoroso, the little Mexican restaurant that's just a few doors down. You'll have to stop by for a taco sometime. Yeah, that sounds fun. Thanks for the invite, I said. How long have you guys worked there? Kai opened his mouth to answer, but Emmett smacked his friend's arm. Sorry, we really ought to get going, Emmett said. Our break's just about over. He started to leave, lazily waving his hand, then flipped back around with a grin to make one last comment. We'll see you later. Thanks for the tip, Andy. We'll try not to break our arms next time we see a spider. And with that, he pushed open the door with its tinkling bell and walked outside with Kai, smiling apologetically behind him. Well, he's just a big ball of sunshine, isn't he? I asked, laying on the sarcasm. Yeah, Steph admitted, Kai's a super nice guy, but Emmett's just a little standoffish sometimes. A little? She chuckled. He just thinks he can get away with his snide little comments because he's cute. I scoffed. He's not that cute. Oh, come on, Steph said, elbowing me in the side. You don't have to deny it. He's definitely not the most approachable guy, but he is nice to look at. I mumbled something about how he wasn't that attractive. The last couple hours passed quickly. When three o'clock rolled around, I said goodbye to Steph and headed outside, ready to text my Aunt Mara, but she was already waiting for me. In a panic, I remembered what Mara had said about showing me around the square after work. I thought she might suggest getting dinner at Flavoroso, the restaurant where Kai and Emmett worked, and I wasn't ready to face Emmett's smug face just yet. Mara must have caught on, at least partly because she said, You've probably seen enough of Laurelton today. Let's head to downtown KC for dinner tonight. That night, Mara treated me to barbecue, shopping, and ice cream at a large outdoor mall called The Plaza in downtown Kansas City. It was fun hanging out with Mara, and it was a relief to forget all about the voice I had heard in the attic. 
Back at Mara's house, we watched a chick flick in our pajamas, and by the time I dragged myself to bed, I was so tired I didn't even think about the young woman I had seen the night before. Although, that night, I had a nightmare. In the dream, I was trapped on my bed, surrounded by a blazing, sweltering fire. The flames licked the curtains, bedspread, anything they could reach, and the wallpaper bubbled and melted. Through the room's open doorway, I could just make out a figure stumbling down the hallway toward me. Leave me, I tried to shout. Get out! The ash clogged my throat, making it difficult to breathe. In horror, I watched as the figure collapsed into the flames just outside my doorway. I tried to scream, but sucked in smoke that seared my throat and lungs. Just when I thought the heat and the smoke would be too much, I jolted awake, gasping for air. There was, of course, no deadly fire engulfing my bedroom, but there was someone staring at me outside the window. Or something, I should say. A gigantic, jet-black raven was gazing at me intently from a branch just outside. I could see one of its small, beady little eyes fixed right on me. I had left my window open just a crack the night before, and I could hear the flutter of wings as the bird finally took flight. Had that raven been watching me? Before I could think about it much longer, the alarm on my phone went off. I jumped about a foot in the air, then reached across to the nightstand to turn it off. On the screen, I could see messages from my parents, my best friend Bree, and my ex, Connor. I deleted Connor's message without even looking, but mentally made a note to text Bree back. I could call my mom and dad later that night. After I had showered and dressed, I met Mara downstairs for breakfast. Aunt Mara, I started hesitantly pouring myself a bowl of cereal. Do you know if there was ever a really bad fire in this house? A fire? No, I don't think so, Mara considered after she had swallowed a bite of toast. I think the realtor would have mentioned if there was any fire damage. How come? Oh, it's nothing. I just had a really vivid dream last night that the house was on fire. I shrugged, trying to sound nonchalant. Ooh, I love interpreting dreams, Mara exclaimed, dashing into the front room and returning with a small purple book in her hand. I got talking with a nice lady who works on the square about dreams once, and she gave me this book. She started flipping through the pages, looking for something. Hmm, let's see, meaning of fire. Here it is, she grinned, pointing to a page. Fire in your dream can symbolize destruction, Passion, transformation, purification, or anger. To dream that you are being burned by fire indicates that your temper is getting out of control. Mara looked up at me slyly. Are you consumed by the love you have for the new pair of shoes you got last night? Or, her smile became even more mischievous. Is there a boy in your life you're not telling me about? I thought you broke up with what's-his-face, Caden, Carter... I blushed and slid off the stool, setting my cereal bowl in the sink. Connor and I did break up. Sometimes dreams are just dreams. They don't have to mean anything. Not sure if I believed that myself, I added with an equally impish grin. Although I am still fuming that you bought me a double scoop instead of a triple scoop last night. We'll be back right after this. Good evening, everybody, or 
morning or afternoon or whatever, it doesn't matter. We are Graveyard Tales. Now, if you like ghost stories, hauntings, cryptid encounters, and the weird history behind them, then you should join us in the graveyard. You can find us on any of your favorite podcast providers. Check out our website at graveyardpodcast.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at GRV. I just go search Graveyard Tales. That would be easier. Now, we hope to see you in the graveyard. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the story. I left for the square on my own that morning, looking around at the different shops as I walked. I passed a hair salon, law firm, quilting store, and a couple restaurants. I hurried past Flavoroso without looking inside. It was a windy morning, and I kept having to fling my hair out of my face and off my chapsticked lips. Once, when I did this, I happened to look up to the tree-lined horizon, speckled with church steeples and brick buildings. One building seemed to stand just a little taller than all the others. I was amazed I hadn't noticed it yesterday. Stopping for just a moment to look, I could make out a line of dark windows on the building's top story. I suddenly shivered for no reason at all. It was windy, but it was a warm summer breeze. I had just torn my eyes from the blank windows when a loud caw sounded right next to my ear. I about jumped out of my skin as a large blackbird whooshed past me and arced upwards into the sky. It was the same raven that had been sitting outside my window that morning. I didn't know how, but I just knew it was the same one. What was going on? Voices in the attic? Terrifying nightmares? A stalker bird? What could be next? Feeling very flustered, I hurried into the speckled sparrow and nearly ran smack into my new boss. Monica was tall and slim, with jet black hair and a wide, toothy smile. She chatted with me for just a couple minutes before saying regretfully, I've got to run, got to do some shopping before I pick up my daughter from preschool. Not five minutes after Monica left, Steph grabbed her car keys and headed toward the front door. I might have forgotten to tell you yesterday, but I have a dentist appointment today. I won't be gone long. Don't be breaking any more wrists while I'm gone. Text me if you have any questions. Before I had the chance to say anything, the door closed behind her with a little jingle. Feeling a little nervous about having to run the cash register by myself, I started wandering aimlessly around the clothes racks. I had only just decided to rearrange some dresses by size when I heard the bell tinkle. Stepping around the rack, I saw an older man, probably around 70, in khakis and a Hawaiian print shirt slowly approaching the front counter. Good morning, I said in greeting, stepping over to stand behind the counter. Can I help you find something today? The older man smiled and shook my hand across the counter. You must be Andy. His whole face crinkled when he smiled. Monica told me she'd be getting a new employee soon, and I just thought I'd come say hello. My name's Leo Savanovich. I own the hardware store next door. It's so nice to meet you, I said with as much enthusiasm as I could, trying to mask my confusion. If there was a hardware store next door, how could I have heard music coming from its second story yesterday? How are you liking Laurelton so far? he asked kindly. Oh, it's great. Such a pretty little town for sure. Mr. Savanovich nodded in approval. We love it here too. So much interesting history. 
You know, our shop next door was a pharmacy when my father first acquired it. Did you know the store you work in was first a bank? Yeah, Steph did tell me that, I said, my gaze flicking over to the bank vault door. All these buildings must be really old. Yes, yes, very old. This bank opened in 1857, I believe. He turned away from me to look out of the speckled sparrow's front windows and pointed. See that building across the square? You can just make out the little plaque on the corner. That's the Lester Lawless Hayes Bank and Museum. It was here years before this bank, he said, tapping his finger on the front counter. Lester Lawless Hayes? I asked with a small smile. Yes, he's a bit of a legend around here. He was the leader of a band of outlaws, called themselves the Hayes Gang. That bank over there was one of the first they ever robbed. That's where they committed their first murder, too. Goosebumps spread over my arms and legs. Someone died in that building? Is that why they've made it a museum? It seemed a little macabre to name a building after someone who had killed an employee. Yes and no, Mr. Sivanovich explained. That bank is now famous because it's the site of the first armed bank robbery in U.S. history. Happened right in the middle of the day, too. The Hayes gang made out with almost $60,000 when they met a young college student on the road just outside. One of the outlaws must have thought the boy was trying to alert the authorities because he shot him dead right there in the street. Mr. Sivanovich frowned sadly. The boy, Walter Dorsey, was taking classes at Howard Beach College just a couple blocks away. Poor boy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's awful, I said, looking out the window at the orange brick building with its green shutters across the block on the corner. Yes, it is. No one wanted to use the bank after it was robbed. Didn't think it was safe anymore, so they built this bigger, more secure bank. He gestured around us. Dorsey's descendant bought the bank and turned it into a museum, as a way to honor his great-great-great-grandfather, I imagine. But Laurelton's not all just doom and gloom. Mr. Savanovich launched into a dialogue about the town's founding, local events that would be happening that summer, city council meetings, and so on. My stomach had started growling, and I kept sneaking furtive glances at my watch. How long had we been standing there talking? I was trying to think of a polite way to end the conversation when I heard the door open. I looked over Mr. Savanovich's shoulder and my heart dropped. What's he doing here? I thought sourly as Emmett approached the front counter. Hi, Mr. Savanovich, he greeted the older man, placing a hand on his back. Oh, why hello there, the shopkeeper said with a grin. How are you today, young man? I'm good, thank you, he replied warmly. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I've got to steal Andy for the next little bit. We have a lunch date planned and a short break. Oh, of course, of course. Mr. Savanovich almost leapt away from the counter in his eagerness to leave. Don't want to keep you two? He winked at me as he turned to leave. I looked at Emmett in confusion, but he just jerked his head toward the door as if to say, let's go. Not sure exactly what was going on, I grabbed the spare key from its hook under the counter Steph had shown me yesterday and followed both of them outside. As I locked the door behind me, I called after the older man, who had already started his way down the sidewalk. Um, Mr. Savanovich, sorry, but do you mind if I ask, were you having some kind of dance party in your store yesterday? The older man gave me a look that seemed to say, do I look like I throw dance parties? 
Uh, no, no, he chuckled, his eyes twinkling. No dance party. Why do you ask? It's just, I thought I heard a big crowd of people talking and music playing from next door. I was up in the attic yesterday, and... I trailed off at the shocked expression on his face. He looked pale, as if he'd just seen a ghost. I'm sorry, I've got to get back to my customers, he mumbled and dashed as fast as he could away from us and into his shop. That was weird, said Emmett, taking off down the sidewalk in the opposite direction. I didn't have time to focus on Mr. Ivanovich's reaction at that moment because I was busy keeping up with Emmett. Um, Emmett, where are we going? To lunch, he shrugged. I was just passing by the sparrow and saw Mr. Ivanovich inside, talking your ear off. I thought you could use some rescuing. Oh, yeah, thank you. I, I was getting pretty hungry. I faltered as Emmett pulled open the door to a restaurant. I panicked. Emmett, I, I left my wallet in the store, and I packed my own lunch for today. I wasn't planning. Don't worry, Emmett said gently, placing a hand on my back and ushering me inside. Lunch is on me today. My mind was reeling as we made our way to a picnic table set on a grassy area outside the courthouse. Emmett had been so snarky yesterday, and now we were on a date? Had I missed something? Oh, watch out, Andy, Emmett teased, brushing aside a small spider scuttling across the tabletop. Don't go fainting on me, okay? I shot him a look, then sat down across from him. He had ordered us both mac and cheese with brisket, which sounded strange but smelled delicious. Thanks again for buying me lunch, I said as he passed me a plastic container full of warm food. No problem, he shrugged as he speared some cheesy noodles onto his fork. We ate in silence for a few minutes until I could hardly stand it. I cleared my throat. Hey, did I miss something? I got the impression yesterday that you weren't really in the mood to talk to me. Now we're on a date? Oh, this isn't a date, Emmett laughed, not meeting my eyes. Unless you want it to be, he added, glancing up at me from under dark eyelashes. N-no, I blushed, exasperated. Was this guy just messing with me? What is this, then, I gestured between us. I told you, I was already on my way to lunch when I saw Savanovich talking to you. I figured you needed savings, so I got you out of there. The old man's tried to set me up on so many dates. I knew he'd leave if I said we had a date. He ate a couple more forkfuls and then continued. I'm sorry if I was rude yesterday, by the way. I had some things on my mind and wasn't really thinking straight. I sighed. It's all right. I'm just having a hard time reading you. I'll be as transparent as possible from here on out, he promised, his lips twitching into a playful smile. We're just two people having lunch together. Trust me, if we were on a date, you'd know. Butterflies raced around my stomach, but I willed myself to stay focused. Emmett tried not to smile. What was Savanovich saying to you anyway? Repeating the minutes from last week's city council meeting? He was telling me about the Hayes gang, actually, I told him stiffly. About the bank on the other side of the courthouse and how someone actually died there. Have you ever been to the museum there? Sure, Emmett said, finishing his food and pushing the plastic container away. Went there a bunch on field trips as a kid. It's pretty boring. The ghost stories are kind of cool, though. Ghost stories? My heart started pounding. The shock I felt must have shown on my face because Emmett laughed. Well, the stories aren't real. 
Jeesh, calm down, you look like you're about to pass out. You're a big scaredy cat, aren't you? I scowled. I'm not a scaredy cat. It's just, are there lots of people who have seen something? They say they've seen the guy, the college kid who was shot during the robbery, either out in the street or up in one of the second-story windows. But why would he be upstairs? He wasn't inside when he died, I wondered out loud. Emmett shrugged. He might not have died there, but something like a robbery creates a lot of negative energy. All that energy from the shooting and the robbery might allow him to move freely in and out of the building. Surprised, I crossed my arms and raised an eyebrow. Number one, that sounds like a bunch of hooey. Number two, I wouldn't have thought you'd know anything about spirit energy. Number one, Emmett said, reaching across the table and stabbing some of my food, which I still hadn't finished, with his fork. Who says hooey? You sound like my grandma. I shot him a withering look. Number two, I don't really. Kai's interested in that stuff, and that seems like something he would say if he were here. When Emmett reached across for another forkful, I smacked his hand away. I finished the last of the mac and cheese, then got up and walked back over to the storefront with Emmett. Well, this was fun. We should do it again sometime, Emmett smiled crookedly. Yeah, maybe give me a little bit of warning next time, I said, my toes curling stupidly when his smile widened. How about I meet you here, same time tomorrow? Is that enough warning? My heart fluttered. He wanted to spend his lunch break with me again? Yeah, I think that'll work. See you tomorrow then, he grinned. Oh, and don't worry about packing a lunch tomorrow either. I'll grab some tacos from the restaurant. And with that, he turned and walked down the sidewalk, disappearing into Flavoroso. Feeling both nervous and excited, I unlocked the store's front door and headed inside. I immediately went to the front counter to grab my phone. I had to fill Brie in on what was happening. I told myself to get a grip as I opened a new text. Hadn't Emmett been super rude and condescending to me yesterday? Why should I be excited to have lunch with him again, no matter how cute he was? I was just about to press send when I got the funny feeling I was being watched. I looked up out the front windows of the store and gasped. Chills ran up and down my entire body. I couldn't breathe. Staring directly at me from a second-story window of the Lester Lawless Bank and Museum was a young man in a white shirt and long-sleeved dark suit jacket. My phone slipped from my hand and landed with a loud smack on the wooden counter, which caused me to jump and break eye contact with the mysterious figure. When I looked back at the window, he was gone. Thank you for joining us for the second chapter of Small Town Spirits. If you liked this episode, please be sure to tell your friends about us. Reviews on Apple Podcasts really help out our show. Follow us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas and Twitter as Straight Enigmas to catch each new chapter as it airs. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time for a brand new episode of Small Town Spirits. 
This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.